Hi, this is Nancy Herald, and welcome to my show, High Road to Humanity. In every episode, I tell you powerful true stories filled with great wisdom that you can use in your own life as you strive for a higher road to travel. My featured guests will have their own unique stories to tell that enlighten your mind and your soul. So kick back, relax, and learn the secret to success when you take the high road. Hi, this is Nancy Yerell, and welcome to High Road to Humanity. And I have David Dye here today. And welcome, David, to High Road to Humanity. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad to be here, Nancy. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. Don't have my mic today, guys, but you know, we're having some technical issues, but I'm sure you can all hear me real well. David has put together it's 42 short essays. This is really interesting of hope, healing, and humanity. And um, just so you guys know, David helps human center leaders resolve workplace ambiguity so that they can drive innovation, productivity, and revenue without burning out employees. So he has a little, this is what he does. After two decades as an executive and elected official, David and his wife, Karen Hurt, founded Let's Grow Leaders. So it's a training firm focused on human-centered leadership development for those determined to get breakthrough results without losing their humanity. And that's right up our alley here on Higher to Humanity. So David, I'm excited. I read some of his short stories. David, tell us your story. Why did you put this together? What motivated you? Oh, sure. You, <laughs> you know, uh, so the, the, the corporate work that you mentioned, you know, kind of the day job, our business, uh, we work with leaders around the world uh, in those right. practical leadership skills and the human-centered aspect. And for me, uh, that is a, a practical way to work towards my kind of bigger life mission of leaving the world better than I found it. And then that human-centered aspect, uh, I really, through the pandemic, was feeling that need to do more. And very practically, I was watching, uh, if you go back mid-pandemic when Hamilton first came out on television, uh, it was the most interesting thing you could do if you didn't have outdoors or something at that point. And, I remember watching it and there's this song uh, where they talk about Alexander Hamilton and how he's writing like he's running out of time. And I've written multiple books, but at that point I thought, well, I'm writing all the time, but am I writing like I'm running out of time? And it hit me in the, in the chest. It was like, no, I'm not. And because if I was, it would be to share these essays, these stories, the message that is in this book tomorrow together. Uh, and so that's the the genesis of where it came from. And a few Can of these I stop you a second? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Tell you something. You know, when I read that in your book, you know, because I got your book and I was checking it out, and I read that because it you were like just writing. You didn't have that drive. You didn't have that motivation in you, but you knew you wanted to write something and you wanted to help. And it kind of really hit me because I was like, dude, that's how I feel too. I was really glad you wrote that because Hamilton motivated you to like we're not here forever. Yeah. Anyway, I just want to say that because it motivated and, me when you said that in your book. I just well, and I think it's, I'm glad that it did. Uh, you know, it's one of those things I, I, for me, the pandemic is like this global staring contest with mortality mm -hmm. and, you know, and I think it affects all of us in different ways, but it, it did, I think for, it did for me and it did for, for many people mm -hmm. uh, bring that awareness of yes, time is not infinite and how do we make the most of it? And so part of that is how am I going to be most on mission for my life? And many ways to do that. But one of them was this book. 
Mm-hmm. It's really good. He's got a bunch of short stories, 42, you guys. Um, what's your favorite story? <laughs> uh, what day is it? How am I feeling? Uh, there, there are a few that, uh, the, if I had to pick just one, there's different ways to answer that. But if I had to pick one yeah. to read at my funeral, like oh. once I'm not here, oh, it would, it would be the very final one in the collection. You want to read it? It's well, called, I was here. Pull it out. <laughs> pull it out. Do you want to read it? Oh, uh, I don't know if I'll read the whole thing. They're a little, well, read long a little for, bit. You want to read a little bit of it? Uh, I'll just start, start the beginning here. So, okay. Uh, beginning with the epigraph from Richard Powers in the overstory uh, from that book. He says, life has a way of talking to the future. It's called memory. So you can see it from the road, the image of a lizard chipped into the stone's desert varnish. It's nearly three feet long, 20 feet off the ground, and was created by the Fremont people over a thousand years ago. It probably took the artist or artists several months to complete. Standing on a hot, windswept ledge in the Utah desert, many miles from the nearest person or car, looking at this ancient masterpiece, it's hard not to think about why. Why is it there? What did the artist want to communicate? What does it have to say to us now? And most of those answers are lost in antiquity. We just don't know whether the image and so many petroglyphs like it have spiritual significance or the ancient hunting billboards or artistic displays that celebrated their subject or the artist's ability. But one thing I do know, the artist was there. And so that's how that one starts. Uh, And getting through all the different things that, uh, I'm gonna skip to the end on this one. Okay. Well, it's about making your mark though. It is, it's about making your mark. And so the question in the essay is, why do people leave their mark, whether it's a graffiti artist or people uh, carving their name into trees or the hillsides or or different things? And And I was here, it matter, I matter. I think that's what it is. I think we all wanna wanna be seen, you know what I mean? And I think the ultimate, and part of the message of tomorrow together is it's the together part. Like our tomorrow depends on our together, if I were to, to shorten it down. Mm-hmm. And that our, that legacy each of us leaves, the reality is to, as a human being, to leave that mark and be known, the reality is that's not going to happen for most of us. Right. Um, you know, statistically, you can, any of us from a thousand or 2000 years ago, we can probably only name one or two or five people, depending on how, how well we know our history. But so many of the things that we all do, do survive in one another. So who designed your chair? Who invented the regulator that lets you use the natural gas or your propane to cook? Who designed the font of the thing that you're reading right now? The vaccines and medicines that keep us alive, the car, the coffee maker. And we don't need to know in order to use them, but the creations survive and become part of how we live. We survive in one another. And so every human breath is a declaration this is getting to the final lines every human breath is a declaration to the universe of the many generations that came before they were here i don't know their names but i've received their gifts their creations their love know me and know them and so the question for the listener today what gifts love and creation will the future enjoy from you yeah exactly how we leave we leave it a better place you know and it's true everything i read in your book it was so interesting you were talking and i can't even remember what story it was but it was what you were just saying you know how many people affect our lives and we don't even realize it yeah that's the opening opening uh essay an age of yeah talk about that a little bit because it's true 
I was, uh, I had a day and it was a, just a day in my work. I was sitting at a restaurant. I ate, and it was just a really good breakfast. <laughs> Short ribs that had this, you know, some days the food just is so it's good. really good. Yeah. You can eat the same dish five times. You're like, that one was the good one. And the music was good. And anyway, I was just thinking about, and then I flew to some work and I was texting with my daughter who lives in Guatemala and my, at that point, uh, fiance in Maryland. I was sitting in Colorado at that point and just all of the, aspects of that one day of my life and how those would have been magic or devilry or wizardry 500 years ago mm -hmm. or a thousand years ago to, to human beings. And then you think about the millions and millions of people that it takes to have just that one day. Yeah. The people who built the restaurant, got the food from wherever in the world it came from, all those spices, everything to music on it that's piped in overhead. Like we just take that for granted. 250 years ago, you wanted music, you had to go watch people play it in front of you. That was the only time. Or if you know, you, you had an instrument yourself. And here I'm here. Yeah, there were the no mariachis. <laughs> no, there, you know, like, it's like you, there's what is right in front of you. And that's it. That's funny. I love so we it. live in an age of miracles. And there is so much to appreciate and that we give one another. Yeah, there were some stories that I picked out that I was hoping that you would share with the audience, if that's okay. Are you cool? Of course. All right, cool. I really like the one on the wild donkeys. <laughs> I am such an animal lover. This is an island in the South Caribbean. It's Bonaire. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Tell the story. This is really interesting. So yeah, Desert Island, it's uh, far, far south in the Caribbean there. The uh, It's 60 miles north of Venezuela. Okay. And it's known for scuba diving. That's why people go there. And that's why I was there is scuba diving. But there are these donkeys. So um, salt production was big. Like when the Spanish colonized that island originally, um, they brought donkeys with them to haul the equipment around and, you know, they basically boil the ocean, evaporate the ocean, and make salt. And well, at a certain point you get machinery, you don't need the donkeys anymore. So they let the donkeys roam free. And 400 years later, the donkeys are still roaming free. They survived, but it's a desert island. It's not made for donkeys, right? That's not where they, they grew up. They're not made for it. So it's a tough environment. The donkeys are sick. They eat the the native vegetation. So, you know, it's, you know, biologists yeah. would call it an invasive species and it's yeah. and donkeys suffer too. So um, some people got together. This woman in particular started a donkey preserve, a refuge for sick, injured donkeys in order to protect the donkeys. And it's kind of cool. And it's fun to go. Like if you love donkeys or, you know, we call it the Shrek uh, museum. Cause like you go through and you just all these donkeys you can feed carrots to. And so you, you can pretty much hear Shrek going donkey, you know, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, that's great. And so like, who doesn't like this, right? It's, you know, uh, wow, they're really doing a good job of protecting, keep taking care of hundreds of donkeys. Well, the point of this particular essay and several like it in the book is that we have to understand that there are different perspectives on things. And for me, I was like, wow, what a cool thing. Who couldn't like the donkey preserve? Well, it turns out there are several thousand people who don't care for the donkey preserve. I know. So I did some investigating. I originally, I saw a little poster, a handwritten thing on a, on a grocery store. I was like, against the donkey preserve. I'm like, what is that about? So then I get on the internet, I start doing some research. Right. Turns out that there are people for, they've lived their whole life in Bonaire. They're, they're citizens. Their grandparents were citizens of the island. They've grown up with the donkeys. The donkeys are part of their culture and they don't want to see them go. Um, they, they care about them. They put out water for them. They take care of them as best they can. 
They're part uh, of the can, community. Yeah, they're part of the community. And uh, one of the other things that they object to is that the donkey preserve sterilizes some of the male donkeys so that it, re it uh, oh, population it, control, it, yeah, right, to keep from and uh, or will euthanize some of the sick donkeys, right? And so there are people who don't care for that. They feel yeah. like it's a war against their culture and their way of life. And um, so the the message for me when we're talking about these wild donkeys is that in any situation, there are gonna be multiple perspectives. And as human beings, we have one at this point in our existence, we have one rock to share. It's this big floaty rock we call Earth. That's it. Yep. You know, maybe someday we'll get a second one on the moon or something. But for right now, this is what we have. Mm -hmm. And to be able to build a better future together requires that we are cognizant, aware of and not just respectful, but really, truly strive to understand one another's perspectives. Well, yeah, I can, I can the... still be pro donkeys. It's OK. I, I like the donkey preserve, but I can I got to respect the people who oppose it. Right. I, and I don't don't want to interrupt your train of thought there. But, you know, as you speak, it makes me realize, you know, we've become such a society who is so combative. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's like really crazy people. And, and my biggest thing, to be straight with you, um, is respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, we used to laugh, right? We used to sing that song. And now I see no respect for each other. And that's the sad part because we're not respecting humanity and we're not respecting our fellow man. And we're all, you know, in this game together. Yeah, we really are. You know, <laughs> and the, the, we're in the game together, but we're all sitting in different uh, positions, different roles. Uh, if we're on a boat, it's different seats in the boat, what have you. Yeah. And I think, Part of it, you know, when you're talking about the respect thing, um, and this is not in the book, this is me riffing on just my own contemplations yeah. about it, but, you know, the pandemic did a number on us as human beings. And mm -hmm. I don't care what per perspective you entered or exited it with. Some people, uh, you know, really frustrated by masks and mandates and, and there's legitimate fear. Control, about that type of right, thing. Control, yeah. loss of freedom. Yeah. And then you've got other people yeah. who are like, you know, uh, worried and, and anxious about why can't we cooperate and work together to, to mm -hmm. fight this thing and do better than we did. And, you know, underlying all of it is fear. And mm -hmm. when we're not at our best with one another as human beings, so often the reason for that is fear. Yeah. And, true. you know, and so how we address that, you know, partly starts with understanding. Yeah. We got to get back to the love vibe. That's how we're going to raise the vibration, you know, here. But truly, I, you know, I see so much going on and I don't want to get into all this stuff. But, you know, you you turn, you flip on the news. It doesn't matter what channel it is. And you see people, kids stealing, no respect for property, no respect for people, you know, for human life. I think that's what we've lost more than anything. And I think as you wrote these, you, you started to see, um, as I read them, I can tell that you were feeling a lot of these things were um, respect for just humanity as a whole. I can tell as because you're like I, I like a lot of us, you know, that sat through the pandemic and I did my show. So I was cool. I got to talk to cool people like you. But, you know, it really affected people and it affected you in a way. I think this is my perspective that it brought that part of you out onto paper. Is that right? I think that's fair to say. Yeah. I also, I have a, a podcast as well. So I empathize with that. It was a lifeline. I, you know, it's called yeah. leadership, leadership without losing your soul is the name of my show. 
and getting to talk to other human-centered leaders uh, and thought leaders and authors and business people and just all, all from all different perspectives. Um, yeah, but to, to your point, that notion of what we're doing together and how we build a better tomorrow, yeah, that is a core that's a core question for me. It's been a question for me since I was 11 years old, literally 11 years old. Well, I think it's getting to the point where we don't have any, uh, we don't have a choice. You know, I don't know how much you're into astrology, <laughs> but I mentioned this a couple shows ago. You know, we have just finally started the age of Aquarius where the planets have shifted and things have shifted. So All I know about the age of Aquarius, I learned watching, oh, music, good. watching oh, hair. <laughs> so that's about what I know. I know this is the dawning, right? But now it's here. You know how they said this is the dawning, but now it's here. And so, you know, hopefully we'll see some changes. Let's talk about a couple more stories. I liked seeing. Talk about that. It's um, you were started running and I wrote down this <laughs> quote. One of the greatest gifts we can give another human being is to see them. Mm. Yeah. Talk about, I love this because talk about this. You were gaining weight and then you decided you were going to run. Do you remember? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. My, uh, uh, my, my wife, Karen, she calls it adult onset running. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was, I've been overweight my whole life and I was not a particularly athletic kid, but I've always liked hiking and, and walking and all. Then my uh, daughter in high school, she started running cross country and I'm like, it looks like she really enjoys that. I don't understand that. <laughs> my daughter so, runs. So I feel the same way. I'm like, what? I don't okay. get it. Yeah. Well then I like, all right, well, let me try. And I start, and what I learned about all that was that no one ever taught me how to run, which sounds funny. You just should know. Uh -huh. But what I learned that running actually is, is not just tearing out your door as fast as you can until you're exhausted and fall over in a heap. That's not running. There's actually a process to it. And, um, and here's after the book has, was published, uh, last fall, I ran my first ultra marathon. I ran 32 miles. In oh day. my gosh. Congratulations. <laughs> That's huge. Thanks. So the, the essay is about experiences on the trail, like running on trails uh, when I can. And this whole community of people opened up to me that I'd passed and they had passed me a million times. But as I walk along, I, I tend to say hi and make eye contact and, you know, give people a wave or a nod or, or what have you. Mm -hmm. And when I started running, even though I'm overweight and I'm trudging along and I'm not running near as fast as these other people, I'd be running along and, you know, here comes Thor running the other direction who previously wouldn't pay me any mind but because i was running i'm now part of his community and i would you know give thor a wave and he would wave back in this you know kind of like hey you got this man you're looking strong out there you know i'm interpreting everything he was saying but <laughs> that's the kind of wave you would that's get that's the kind of wave it's like when you're on a motorcycle they do exactly that wave, you know okay or uh, on a jeep uh if you're on jeeps and on dirt roads and the mountains going opposite way, there is like there's that i see thing i didn't know yeah. okay Okay. And and so many different, I think you're right, like motorcycle, whatever it is, there's so many different aspects of where uh, they see you and right, uh, you're part of the gang, you're part of the group. Exactly. And so, you know, these days, when I run, I try to acknowledge everybody that I pass and it doesn't cost much. It's a tip of the head, a wave, yeah. you know, a two finger Thor salute, what have you. And, <laughs> but it's, it's one of the greatest gifts that we can give another human being is to truly see them. And sometimes that means visually just a quick see. Other times it means um, to reflect what we're hearing, what their experiences is, you know, to share with them what we are perceiving, our experience of them in that moment. And so that one concludes, would there be anything more powerful than a chorus of voices from the people we meet saying, 
Yeah, I'm here. Thanks for noticing. You're absolutely true. That's like so true. If I go to the post office, it's really interesting. I'll always say hello to people if they want to talk. I won't be one of those gabbers. Or if I'm at the grocery store, I always, you know, try to have a conversation or whatever. Because I think people do. Well, no, I know people want to be acknowledged. Everybody wants to be seen. It's really quite interesting. We all kind of want to be separate, but yet we need to come together. It's it's really interesting how this whole thing is working. Did you did you kind of come to that realization too? You know, yeah, and it's and energetically, I know you're you're big in energy. Like there's yeah. there's this aspect of of life. Like so, I'm an introvert, right? I get I draw my and I love people. I love being around people. I love interacting with people. And then I need to retreat and kind of be by myself to yeah. build, build my battery back up and to process my thinking and all of that yeah. and then get back, you know. So, yeah, we're all different in that way, but we are social creatures. We all need one another. And no. that's a very legitimate, real thing that, we, you know, we've got to honor for our own well-being. And we've really gotten away from it with the phones. You know, I was driving down the road. I got to say this because the phones have really two things I'll say. I realized the phones, we've gone overboard when I went to a concert and nobody was watching the concert. They were all That's taking crazy, it. right? Everybody's like, yeah. Yeah, nobody <laughs> cares. And then that that was years ago. So I acknowledged this situation a while back. But yesterday I was driving down the road and there were two people walking and they were both on their phones. And I'm thinking, are you not out here looking at this nice spring day? Are you making sure you're not going to get into the road? No. They're on their phones. It was and when the you say on thing. your when you say on your phone, you don't even mean like talking to somebody on the phone. I mean you mean looking at looking it. at the thing. I mean looking you know, at the phone. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not even having a conversation. It's just gotten crazy. Anyway, I had to throw that out there. Take the cash. <laughs> so your dad said when yeah. it comes to people, I, I don't want to tell all the stories in your book. Am I cool to tell a couple more you want to tell them this is kind of a weird one you guys when it comes to people you've got to take the cash and let go and let the credit go what did he mean by that <laughs> i know it sounds like advice from a bank robber right it does what uh, you said in the book sounds like an advice like, from a bank robber what take the, the heck is that about <laughs> take the money and run <laughs> yeah take the money and run and, and a little bit of that was the way he meant it was and so this was I grew up in a very sheltered, almost cult-like type of environment. It was a like of a Christian-leaning cult and and this kind of thing. So no alcohol in our house and nobody around me ever drank. And one day I met my first alcoholic and he was giving me drawing lessons. And uh, and my dad was not happy about him being an alcoholic, but he had driven me to the guy to get the drawing lessons for a, a thing I needed. And so he, I get back in the car. I remember we had this big green, ugly green Nova. <laughs> and I sit down in the car and he says, listen, when it comes to people, you got to take the cash and let the credit go. And what he was trying to say was that everyone has their good thing to contribute and everyone has their not so good thing to contribute. Take what's valuable. Don't worry about the rest. Well, okay. You know, that, that's advice. I, I learned that at whatever age and it was like, okay, that stuck with me, but I always was curious about it. And I'm like, he didn't make that up. Like, where did that come from? Is that an old saying? So I look it up. No, I it's a line. It's a line from the Rubaiyat of Omer Khayyam. So the Persian poetry that was written in the 19th century, right? <laughs> that he's quoting to me. And But here's the context. So this is the funny part. He had the context completely wrong. Yeah, I was going to say, do you want to read it or do you have it there? Or no? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can share it. It says, uh, so it just the stanza that it's in. 
some for the glories of this world and some sigh for the prophet's paradise to come. Ah, take the cash and let the credit go, nor heed the rumble of a distant drum. So what that means doesn't mean at all what my father intended. What it actually means is enjoy the day. Don't worry about the future. Carpe diem. <laughs> and that's not at all what he was trying to say. I love it. That's so you know, fantastic. So, yeah, is your dad still around or no? Oh, that's a that's a sad story. There is, a, you know, as much as joyful as I might sound in the uh, the the retelling of these stories and everything in the in the in our show here, uh, a lot of sadness in my life and my relationship with my father is one of them. He has not been, if I'm being totally honest, he has not been a healthy person, and I have not been able to maintain that relationship with him, um, which is sad and unfortunate, yeah. but also the reality. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people go through that and um, myself included, I can understand, you know, but we all, you know, grow and we learn from those people. Isn't it interesting? We learn from those people sometimes the most important life lessons. So, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, got to give it that. All right. There's a couple more I wanted to ask you about. Um, Let's do it. All right. So what about candle party? I OK, I'm a candle girl. I light a white candle every morning and you say in the book, we like, I like this. This was really nice. You say we like candles to start a moment or a, or signal a sacred time to warm a room, to scent a space or to set a mood. And that's true. Candles really, you know, do that. And um, so it's called candle party. Yeah. Uh, the, the candle party is one of, so each section of essays has a theme. And so we've talked about some of the ones about different perspectives and, and the miracles of life and connectedness. There's a section about nature and, and so on. But um, in between these sections are interludes, and these are reflective essays. And the, the candle party is one of these. Mm-hmm. And my, the reflection there, I was just thinking about it and how interesting it is. Yeah, I love candles. My sister is a candle fiend. I mean, she waits for candle day when the scents change at the store. She knows that day. Like, she just, Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so shout out. And, and my, I have four sisters and two of them are listening right now going, which one of us is he talking about? That's how, well, and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to interject here. They've tried to do away with them. They've tried to come out with these flameless candles. Have you seen that kind of stuff? Oh yeah. yeah. And it really bothers me. I just want to say that because <laughs> I'm a candle lover. And but you see, what to- is that? What is that? Right? Like we're candle. Lo- I'm a candle lover too. And so why did uh, they do that? Well, and I understand, you know, it's like they're trying to be more environmentally friendly or less air pollution or, or no, you know, whatever it is. No, it's not or, real. You know, yeah. And a, and a, a flameless candle isn't going to accidentally catch the curtains on fire and burn down anything either. So I guess there's that. But but here's the thing. Why? What is it in our primal, primordial mind? I don't, it's the light. So amazing, right? And so that's the reflection is that uh, on this one, like candles were a a... a brilliant invention that changed the game when they first came out right Mm -hmm. a functional tool that we relied on for millennia well now yeah it sets a mood it's romance it's to commemorate something it's you know so like yeah so many different aspects but yeah that magic that candles have is like a real thing for human beings And and then it makes me wonder like okay go a thousand years forward into the future yeah. And what like super functional tool do we use right now that people a thousand years in the future, that's going to be like their total decorative for fun, sets a mood. <laughs> What's going to be the candle equivalent of a thousand years from now? I think there'll still be candles. 
I just think they're great. I Okay, here's the last one I got for you today. I went through and checked out a few of the stories and I really like this one. The Embers and Hidden Treasures. Now this is about, probably because I like antiques and I like old books. <laughs> I love old books. I'm such This is the chapter for you then, yep. I'm telling you, <laughs> antique store, you go in, you're a young boy and you tell the story. I won't tell the story, you tell the story. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, I was with a friend of mine, uh, his name's Mike, and we go into this uh, curios and antiques uh, thing in the foothills of, of Colorado outside of Denver. And and like you say, you know, you go into these stores and it's just like, what are you going to find? It's this, this mystery. And I still, to this day, I love like find one of these markets in different countries or, you know, and they just sprawling. You never know, turn the corner. What, what thing are you going to find? Mm -hmm. And that day I found... <laughs> this coat of arms and it had like two cross swords. Uh, and I was like, this is the best treasure ever, but it was $45. And I'm old right. enough that $45 was a fortune for me that I would never be able to afford at that age. And, uh, and that was for the best because I mean, yeah, well, if I had actually got that and taken it home, it would have been a, <laughs> you know, a piece of junk hanging out in my room. And, but no, I still got the memory of it is this joyous encounter. And so, uh pike place market in seattle um in england one time i had the chance to visit the camden lot market um uh, chata chuck uh market in bangkok and there's just so many of these places that are just amazing. but used bookstores are this way too yeah right? i love used bookstores that's my favorite thing i collect old books my movers were not happy i had to throw away good books to get keep my old ones when i move because books are heavy but you know there's certain things about there's something about old books i'll just say this you know there's this and it's they wrote differently then <laughs> you know what i mean I would... everything was it, there's a there's a charm there's there's something about like there's a mystery when you look into these old books i think I don't there know. is and there's and i think it's that charm and that's that mystery that i love about uh books old bookstores markets uh things like that and and mm -hmm. and quite frankly tomorrow together uh had several different influences uh some are very contemporary but one of the older ones was a gentleman writing in the early 20th century so like 100 years ago um from england and he wrote a book of delights and uh oh, and it's okay. a series of essays and um, and you know, like you say, the language is just so ornate and beautiful. And uh, yeah, uh, that's definitely, it was an inspiration. Mm -hmm. So tell everybody what you're doing today and how they can get in touch with you. <laughs> it's funny you ask, because quite literally today, I'm writing another book. <laughs> I love it. That's, What's it about? So what I've been working on today is uh, Karen and I are writing a book uh, that'll be, come out via HarperCollins in May of 2024. Oh, wow. So it's, uh, yeah, the, the publishing cycle takes a while, yes. uh, but it's called Powerful Phrases for Workplace, workplace Conflict. And oh. so, you know, all of us, conflict is a human thing that we all deal with, and it can be used constructively and productively, or it can really tear us apart. So uh, the book's all about really practical ways to have those conversations in a way that builds relationships, gets things done together, and avoids all the destructive tendencies that can happen there. Yeah, and I'll just ask you this briefly. I don't want to get into a whole thing, but, you know, since the pandemic, most people um, have wanted to go home and work. People have really enjoyed being at home. In fact, I saw a picture. It was really cute. I think it was on Instagram where they had a 
like six office members. And what do you really have on underneath? I saw that same involved. picture. Yeah. That was a great picture. It was really, did you see that? I did I see that like, picture. Just really for cute. the record, I'm wearing blue jeans right now. I just want yeah, to Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people will wear their pajama pants or have shorts yeah. on or whatever. And it was really cute to see that. So in the line of work that you're in right now, do yeah. you see that? I mean, because that's got to be a big part of this right now. Because yeah, like not and wanting to go back with with time short the tightest i can condense it is that there is a range of perspectives and just like our wild donkeys it's really important to recognize that range of perspectives you have some people who are exactly as you described like this is the most productive i've ever been i love the mm -hmm. flexibility my and we we're doing a global um uh, study on conflict uh, right now as well so i'd love to invite listeners to participate world oh, nice. workplace worldworkplaceconflictsurvey.com if you want to get your voice in the mix. But okay. what we're learning is that there are people right now who are saying, yeah, I'm experiencing a lot less conflict at work. Why? Remote work. I'm working from home. I'm not around people. Less conflict. The flip side of that is there's also less collaboration and less discovery and less creation happening in some of those circumstances. Mm -hmm. But there are also people, and it's almost evenly split from the research that, that we're doing. Okay. You've got 30% of folks who are like, I really like working from home. That's where I want to be. You also have 30% of folks who are like, I have got to get back to people. And, yeah, and I, that isolation is tearing me apart. And yeah. businesses are caught in the middle of trying to figure out what how do, do we balance all of that yeah. and serve our customer. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly what I was thinking as you were speaking, that there has to be the balance. And I would I like the balance. I think it should be... Um, two days at in the office and three days at home, something yeah. like that, you know yeah. what I mean? Or vice versa, three days in the office, two days at home, because uh, if, then you've got the best of both worlds. You're still interacting with your people. You're having your Monday morning meeting, but maybe, you know, you get that long weekend or something like that, which kind on of the, on the chance, on the chance that we have anybody listening, who's making those decisions, <laughs> what Nancy just described, if you choose that, yeah, to get the best of both worlds, you have to be very intentional about getting the best of both of those things. Otherwise, you end up with the worst of both of those things. And we've seen that too, where like people do the two on three off. And people are in the office sitting on a zoom call with all of their colleagues who aren't like, and that's a waste of time gas and everything else. So oh, like, so you've seen that use, everybody's got to do it. Use your in person time intentionally for the things that in person is absolutely best for like connection creation um and relationship and use the the solo time for the things that the remote time is best for so use it for what okay. it's best for be intentional okay. well that makes a whole lot of sense well david if people want to find you of course they can find your book on i would imagine amazon and all of that yeah amazon uh it's av available either uh, paperback or electronic uh, depending on your, your preferences anywhere you know books are sold you can all the out different outlets and independence as well it's called um, tomorrow together you guys by david tomorrow together essays of hope healing and humanity and if you want to find me or our leadership business you can find uh, letsgrowleaders.com let's grow leaders.com okay fantastic thank you for coming on telling oh, your story it's fun oh i had a lot of fun nancy thanks for having me okay cool all right you guys this is nancy you this is high road to humanity i'm gonna get out of here for today i hope everybody has a fabulous week and god bless